Welcome to the busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to comment on this episode or the podcast in general. To leave a comment, click on the link in the show notes. When studying the scriptures, it is essential to ask and find answers to questions. Jean Arrington, a senior business architect for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, suggests some important questions to ask and how she incorporates the questions in her personal study and in the classroom, and how she handles the silence that follows. Now here's Jean. Welcome, Jean. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Now, are you up in Roy, Utah? I am. You are. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, I'm married. I have I have four children and my husband, this is my second marriage, so my husband also has four children and we have 13 grandchildren. I love to boat. I love water skiing. I love woodworking. I love four-wheeling. <laughs> Basically anything in nature. I don't usually talk about myself, so it's really hard to... Yeah, yeah, it gets a little hard here. So you have 13 uh, grandchildren. I do. Um, how long have you been married to... Uh, what, what is your husband's uh, first name? My husband's name is Mark. Mark. So, been uh, married for five years. Five years, okay. Well, we have something in common. I'm in my second marriage. Oh, And well, we I'm have gonna... an anniversary coming up here, uh, 15th anniversary coming up in about a week. Oh, so, well, we got married June, June 21st. When did you get married? Uh, the 17th. Oh, excuse me, July. Ah! Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you forgot our anniversary. <laughs> well, yeah, in between us, we have um, nine children. So we've got, uh, I think it's 33 grandchildren. That's awesome. And we got, I think it's four great-grandchildren. You think, wow. by, you think by now I'd have that number down, but I don't. <laughs> So awesome. <laughs> now um, you are you work with the church and you are a senior business architect. That's a very fancy title. What do you do? I work in the space. If you think about mission, vision and strategy for a business and then you think about the tactical execution, business architecture is all about bridging that gap. So in business architecture, there are many, many, many different kinds of artifacts that people create to help the business or to help IT, the developers and, and the technology side of the company visualize this, what is trying to be implemented to be able to realize a particular strategy that somebody's trying to execute. And there's lots of different artifacts to do it. In business architecture, it's really kind of finessing which artifacts, which visualizations help you to, to actually understand what the strategy is and then to bridge it so that you can, you can make sure that the tactical execution of it is in line with the strategy that you developed. And 
it comes out of the idea or the thought I learned early on in my career that if you cannot put something into a picture, if you can't draw even a stick picture of something, you don't really understand what you're trying to say or you're trying to accomplish. And so, so think of that middle space when somebody says, here's my mission and my vision and my strategy, and then they've got to figure out what that looks like in tactical execution. What can somebody do in an application or what will you see somebody doing to know that your strategy is working or not working? It's that visualization and that bridge. So that's what business architecture is. Okay. Well, to get that down to, um, away from the terms you're using what what would be an example for example i i am i'm a member of the church i'm a user of the church websites what is how does that come down to me um let me think about that for a second so for example if you start with the church handbook there's a lot of information in the church handbook about the things that that leaders need to be able to do about the types of services we're going to offer in welfare. There's a lot of information in the church handbook that is all about how the church runs from a temporal affairs perspective as well as from an ecclesiastical or priesthood perspective. And when you look at that and say, well, this is pretty simple. I'm supposed to be able to collect tithing, for example. You might have the vision that we're, we're building people's characters and we're helping them to be exalted. And, and one of those tenets is to help them learn the law of tithing and then to help them participate and, and pay tithing and receive the blessings from tithing. And those are all part of vision, mission, strategy. They roll up in different statements and you see them printed in the church handbook or you hear them talked about in conference. But there's a, a tactical execution to being able to do that. Not only do we need to be able to have, from a, from a spiritual perspective, do we need to be able to have content that teaches those principles, but from a practical perspective, we need to be able to have systems that collect tithing. And so it's... Mm -hmm. It's the ability to, to take some very broad statements and to marshal them in a very specific manner so that the tactical execution of that is members of the church, as they're learning about the law of tithing, have places to go read content and information that teaches them the value of that and teaches the principles behind it. And... Um, systems that allow people to pay tithing and track tithing so that we can at at the church and at church headquarters can manage those sacred funds very carefully hmm. okay now you uh, worked previously before uh, working for the church uh, with united health group i did and and you were a consumer strategist um, yeah. And when we've been in committee meetings, you've sometimes referred to what you've learned from there. What what things were you doing with that that group? So I I was actually leading their innovation lab for a period of time. I also led their advanced computation lab, 
and was their consumer strategist in the advanced computation lab. And my job consisted of understanding people and understanding how people live their life and figuring out and creating inventions and applications that meshed with people's lives. I used to say when I was there, I used to say um, the phrase all the time, meet me where I am. Don't understand how I live, understand how I feel, understand the experiences that I go through in life and meet me where I am. Teach me in the moment. And so an example from healthcare that I used a lot was I don't care how much you know about healthcare. I I really don't. You can have the world at your fingertips and I don't care about all of the information you have. But what I do care about is what it means to me. So I know how I have to live my life. I know what I'm experiencing every day. So find a way to give me information in healthcare that that means that meets me where I am. In other words, tell me how normal or how common it is for the, a person like me, my age, my activity, to experience certain conditions. And and if I'm not common or I'm a very far I'm a very far deviation from the norm in in the people that look like me. Tell me how much it's going to cost me to get back to a normal functionality perspective or a normal health perspective. And and so that's what I used to mean in healthcare when I said meet me where I am. And so my job was to figure out and invent lots of different applications and lots of different capabilities that help pe- helped the healthcare industry meet individuals where they were and and help them get back to normal. So for example, I have some inventions and co-inventions around the natural history of disease. So what what does it look like at your at different ages, different socioeconomics, different demographics? What does it look like for a person with diabetes if if they're 12 versus a person if they're 30 versus a person if they're 60 and what can they expect and what is common in that arena for them to expect and then how do I help them navigate that world or uh, one of the other one another invention was best match physicians so I need to go for a knee surgery and I'm a runner and and I want to be able to run within a, within two weeks of a knee surgery and so which physicians treat people like me instead of here's just a physician who can do a knee surgery, which physicians actually treat people like me and what does that treatment pattern look like? So that's what I'm talking about when and that's what I did in healthcare was figure out and observe people and figure out patterns so that we could meet people where they were with the with the tools and the information that they needed. Okay, now I'm beginning to understand. And you work in the priesthood family department, is that correct? I actually work as part of ICS. Oh, okay. But I'm assigned to I'm assigned to different projects and across the organization. So some of them, like Gospel Library, come out of the priesthood and family department. Some of them are in facilities. Some of them are under the PBO. Okay. Now, ICS, I was trying to figure out what that meant when I saw it today. 
What is that an acronym for? <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> oh, we're in trouble if you don't know. <laughs> we, we are, because I always call it IT. And so <laughs> uh, give me 30 seconds and no, I'll all tell right. you okay, well, what ITS means. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, while we're talking, it might pop up there. But uh, anyway, so uh, within the priesthood and family department, of course, I'm working uh, with the gospel library. And um, how do you see yourself working within that as far as the gospel library? I understand what you've said about medical, and I understood what you're saying about just business in general, but how within the gospel library? So that, um, to answer that question, I'm going to have to give you a few stories. Okay. So early on, when I started thinking about gospel library and it was actually before I really started back with the church as a full-time employee it was back when I was still in healthcare I started thinking about the gospel library and I started thinking I had learned years ago from sister Hughes and she had learned it from president Hinckley that the that the pattern of the holy ghost to teach us is is you read a particular sentence or you read a particular paragraph or talk or whatever that happens to be and there are a few things that will stand out to you in your mind they jump out to you and speak to you from the paper the talk whatever you're hearing there's a usually a paragraph or thought or two and the pattern of the holy ghost is to take that and you read it and you consider it and you ponder it and then you ask yourself, what do I think about this? And you answer that question. What do I feel about this? And you answer that question. And do I have any experiences with this? And you answer that question. And by the time that you have done that, you have invited the Holy Ghost. That's the pattern of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will take over and will teach you. And I have spent years using that pattern since I learned it from her. It was probably 20 years ago. I've spent years thinking through that pattern and and it works in everything. So it works in everything that I study related to the gospel. It works in everything that I do in life. And it's a pattern that allows the Holy Ghost to speak to you. So I started thinking about it just as I was randomly a user of Gospel Library. And I started to realize that oftentimes I would go to the to Gospel Library and look for content. I already had the experience that was going on in my life. I, I knew the context of that experience. So, so I reversed the pattern in my thoughts a little bit, and I said, I already am having an, a particular experience, so let me go to Gospel Library and let me study what the Savior feels about this, and let me study what the, the Savior thinks about this. And what resulted was very, very distinct learnings about who the Savior is, about how much He loves me, and about 
how deeply he cares and he lays the pattern for our life. And now combine that with my healthcare experience, which is meet me where I am. I don't care about all of the information that you have and that you're trying to give to me. I care about what it means to me. And I care about it in the context of my life. And so uh, several months back, probably eight or nine months back, I had a conversation with the Gospel Library folks and just felt very, very strongly that if the Gospel Library could be set up in, in a way that you could create, recreate for individuals the pattern of the Holy Ghost, then the study that could take place in the content of the Gospel Library could be very, very personalized because we can't personalize it for each individual across the world Mm -hmm. because I'm not face-to-face with each individual, but the Holy Ghost can individualize it for each person across the world if we can put it in the pattern of the Holy Ghost. And so that's how I became just (laughs) almost fixated on the gospel library. And honestly, I, I kept working and thinking through this pattern and studying the scriptures this way for myself and um, finding very deep meaning in it without really knowing if I would ever have a chance to be involved in gospel library. So like I said, seven or eight months back when I had a chance to meet with some folks in gospel library and have this conversation, um, I was pretty excited. And then it, you know, I didn't hear anything else and thought, well, that's okay. Um, so I was really excited when I got asked to participate in it full time through a service mission, because I, I just, know the power and the value of having your own personal experiences and studying the gospel from the perspective of what is this what does the savior think about this and how does the savior feel about this yeah this um i really appreciate your comments and i'm going to read a scripture here in a minute and ask for your comment but um uh, yeah, we, you and I both been called as a service missionaries in a very strange way. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't have a mission president. Um, <laughs> we're not asked to report any hours, and we have no idea when it's going to end. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and when people, uh, when my uh, state president sent me a party, he says, well, is this two years or three? I said, I haven't got a clue. He said, yeah. what? I said, I, I, I said, I may be like the apostles. It ends when I die. I, I have, <laughs> I, I, I have no clue what's what, what's going to happen here. So, it's it's very very interesting. But let's take an example here. I, I was uh, going through "Come Follow Me" in my scripture study today, and and I really stopped and thought about this one scripture. It's in the Doctrine and Covenant sixty three, twenty three, and it says, "But unto him that keepeth my commandments, I will give the mysteries of my kingdom." And the same shall be in him a well of living water springing up unto everlasting life. And as I read that, it really stopped me because I go, well, 
what is living water? And of course, we're familiar with the living water um, uh, story of uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But what is living water? And what does it mean to be springing up into everlasting life? And as I thought about that, and so looking at what you're talking about is what do I think about it? What do I feel about it? And what experience do I have with it? And so using that, how would you, um, I'm trying to think, how, how, how would you use that, that, that form within this scripture? Yeah, that's very interesting because I actually read the same scripture last night in my scripture study. Okay. <laughs> and, and went through <laughs> that exercise and said, what do I think about this? What do I feel about this? And what's my experience with this? And so I'm going to just pull it up really quick so that I can reference it. And I'm going to walk you through exactly what I was thinking and feeling about it. Um, so to go back to it, but unto him that keepeth my commandments, I will give the mysteries of my kingdom, and the same shall be a, in him a well of living water springing up to everlasting life. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking the a lot of people believe that the mysteries of, of my kingdom, they believe that they're really truly secrets, that there's some mystical kind of secrets that take place. And in my studies over my lifetime, I've learned that the mysteries of my kingdom really are to understand the atonement, to really understand how it affects our lives, how it works in our lives, and, and the role of Christ for our lives. And so what I think about it is when you keep the commandments, when you work hard to try to do what you're asked to do, you deepen your relationship with Christ and you have a much greater appreciation for his atonement, which really are the mysteries. A lot of people search for secret things and, and they're not secret. Heavenly Father doesn't make his gospel secret. He never did. and. And he wants us to understand Christ's atonement. And so keeping the commandments are just the first step to help you understand better the character of God the, and the things to do. If you think about the commandments, and this is my thinking, the, Christ said it himself, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And when you think about even the Ten Commandments, half of them help you to have a closer relationship to God, and half of them help you to have a closer relationship to your fellow men. And when you keep those commandments, growing closer to God or closer to your fellow man, you have a deeper appreciation for the atonement of Christ, and you do understand better because you have a very personal perspective of what it means, what his atonement really does mean and save you from. And then when he says, and the same shall be in him a well of living water springing up to everlasting life, um, 
how I feel about that, when I think about how I feel about that, I, I read a book not too long ago. It's called, it's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23 by W. Philip Keller. And it's absolutely beautiful. And in there, he writes from the perspective of a shepherd. And he goes through Psalms 23, and he, he writes and uses the reason that a shepherd's perspective was used. And one of the things he says is the, the line that says, he leadeth me beside the still waters, means as a shepherd, he delights to know that my spirit and my soul have been refreshed and satisfied. Amid chaos of a confused, sick society, Christ comes quietly and invites us to come to him. He knows best how to satisfy us. So when you read this scripture and see that in the, the same in him shall be a well of living water, when you understand the role of the atonement and you understand how much Christ loves you, you really do understand that Christ comes very quietly and invites you to come to him. And, and he comes amid all of the confusion and the chaos and, and the sickness and he does know best how to satisfy you. So my feeling about that is very humbling. Um, and I feel very and I feel very sober to think about how much I mean to him. And then my experience with it, I'm gonna go back to this book because thinking about this, there were a couple things that stood out in my experience in in just knowing the commandments and living the commandments well actually you know what i just had a different thought so i'm going to to go to that other thought instead i i had an even more direct experience with experience with that and it it was with a woman about 10 years ago there was a woman in my ward who <laughs> For all intents and purposes, from the world's perspective, she she lived in squalor. Um, her house was very, very dirty. And when I say very, very dirty, I mean she left the front door open, the back door open. Animals were allowed to walk in and out at will. She and her husband raised snakes. They raised mice um, mm. for a college, for a college lab. They burned coal in a fireplace and so their their walls were black and there were wives tales in my neighborhood about people going to visit her and boys falling in what pools of water in their front yard and and getting ill getting sick from it and so a lot of people avoided them and i had the opportunity of getting to know her better and I, I loved her. She, she and her husband actually were so full of information. And she was a woman who never, not one time in 45 years, had she ever missed a visiting teaching assignment. She, she was a, not an active member of the church, but she was a visiting teacher. And she diligently taught sisters every month. And this one particular day, I was listening to and I was thinking through the commandments of and love your neighbor as yourself and her name came to my mind oh and I sorry and I simply had the thought to take her a Relief Society manual 
And so I did. And I, I grabbed it and I went to her door and I knocked. And I just, when she answered the door, I said, I just had a thought that you might like a Release Society manual. Would you like one? Here is one. And she threw open the door and she threw her arms around me and she said, I have wanted a Release Society manual so bad and nobody's ever given me one. And at that moment, I saw her, what was open to my mind was what an amazing person she was, her spirit, and how much Heavenly Father loved her. And there's no way to describe it. I've never had that experience before or since. But following the commandment to love your neighbor opened up one of the mysteries of God, which is what what our relationship to the Savior is and how he feels about us. And from that day forward, all I can tell you is I had always incredible love for her and for her husband. And it was really like a, a well of, of water springing up. It never stopped. It was always different. And later she sold her house. They paid cash for a very nice house. And she and her husband lived in a beautiful home. And you would not have known what they came from. And I stayed close friends with them until they both passed away. But that experience is, ex is exactly an experience with this scripture. Well, thank you for sharing that. Because uh, as you were saying that, and you, you kept referring to the atonement, and my impression as I was reading this uh, verse, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom, is love. And yet, I think we're talking about the same thing, because the atonement is love. Um, I had the opportunity to um, interview Gail Boyd um, a few weeks ago, and she taught me about the Hebrew word that is used to explain the type of love God has for us, not the type of love that we have for each other. And it's all encompassing. It, it does include the atonement and includes so many other things. And as I've pondered that over the weeks and as I've read the scriptures, uh, it, it's dawned on me that I really need to, to work harder within myself um, as far as these mysteries of the kingdom in seeing a person that they're uh, being a child of God doesn't resonate with me, but that within them, there's a spirit, and you just talked about that, that this woman, you, you got to see what we, you got to see her spirit, and not, not the outside of her, and uh, so that's what um, I was thinking of, and even as you were talking about the atonement there, is that uh, it's love, it's that the mysteries of the kingdom is the atonement, and and there's very little doctrine in the church, as Elder Bednar has told us. But uh, you're absolutely right; these these they're, they're not mysteries. Uh, they use the word mystery, but um, everything Heavenly Father has for us is out in the open for people to receive. But 
these are kind of secrets or mysteries from the standpoint that these are things that we need to learn while we're here. Right. And and once we learn them, and you learned it with with your neighbor, and um, uh, things that happen within my neighborhood and stuff, I'm starting to think, well, uh, perhaps they just don't understand. And I'm trying to think of their spirit rather than what I see on the outward side. And um, yes, I, I really appreciate your comments. But I think we were both talking about the same thing. We are talking about the same thing. I. Without a doubt, the mysteries of God are about the atonement and and how love operates in our life. Yes, it does. Well, normally uh, around this point, I ask um, people on how they, they approach studying the scriptures, but it sounds like we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> we did. <laughs> I do approach studying the scriptures always from the perspective of what does Christ think about this and what does Christ feel about this and um, I I read a lot of other material to help me to understand Christ's personality as well um, going back to the book I noted one of the things I, I'm thinking that has really helped me since I read this book is is when when um, David in this psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, what he means is I belong to him simply because he deliberately chose to create me as the object of his own affection. He demonstrated in Gethsemane and on Calvary the deep desire of his heart to have men come under his benevolent care. Because we were bought literally with his own body in a special way, we are in very truth a part of him and he is a part of us. Paying this price was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on, as our owner and shepherd, he would have to continually lay down his life for our sake if we were to flourish and prosper. He chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. He literally lays himself out for us continually. He's ever interceding for us. He is forever guiding us by his gracious spirit. He is ever working on our behalf to ensure that we will benefit from his care. And when you ask how you study the scriptures or how I study the scriptures, for that reason, it doesn't matter where I open them. I can open them anywhere because my question is, when I open them, what does Christ feel about what, first of all, what experience am I going through right now? And then what does Christ feel about this? Or what does Christ think about this? And it's applied equally if I'm having a very happy day, or if I'm having a very hard day, or if I'm having a very anxious day. It doesn't matter what the experience is. I can open the scriptures anywhere and say, what? does Christ feel about this or feel about me right now? And what does he think about this or think about me right now? When you uh, teach in the classroom at church, um, mm -hmm. when people read the scriptures, do you ask them what they're feeling or what they're thinking about it? Absolutely. Um, I have done that since I learned this pattern. And here's the remarkable experience with it. I can read a whole lesson, I can read a whole article, whatever it is that I'm supposed to be teaching, and I will just simply 
read the first statement. I'll read through it and I'll mark one to three statements that stand out in the lesson. And then I will, I will open the lesson and I will literally read the first statement that stood out to me. And I will say to the class, what do you think about this? And I will let them talk until they're done sharing what they think about it. And then I will say, what do you feel about this? And I will let them share their feelings until there's nobody responding. And then I will say, what are your experiences with this? And I typically don't get through more than two of those statements in the whole time that I have to teach. But by the time we finish having that conversation, I can go back and look at the lesson that I was teaching and every principle and every point will have been brought out and discussed. And that just further verifies to me that it is the pattern of the Holy Ghost because he's invited to take over at that point. And a lot of times we think we have to cover every single piece but if you follow the pattern of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost covers every single piece. And I've taught lessons for years that way and never had one principle, one iota of the lesson skipped. I I agree with you. I, I, you're, you're phrasing it in a way I haven't thought of. Um, there was a comment with uh, our family. Uh, we had one of our sons come up with uh, one of our granddaughters just for the weekend, and the family up here in Utah, and he were together. And uh, it was kind of done in a teasing manner, but um, someone said they have to prepare for their their Sunday lesson. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a Saturday. And uh, and someone made the comment, well, just, just tell people we're get, we got to get through this lesson. And that's not really what it's about, is it? We don't need to get through the lesson. I like what you said. It's it is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that will see that we get through the lesson. That is, the people will know what they need to know. For for years, I can't remember when I started it. I, I think I did it because of Elder Bednar. I read his the, his trilogy, and in there, he always said. Um, don't ever ask a question that you know the answer to, but also to ask people what they're feeling. And I, I remember the first time I was up here in Utah and I was asked, it was to happen to be in the, the death branch in, uh, in um, Provo, mm -hmm. but I was asked to teach the high priest and I asked him, I said, now I want you to read this scripture and then when you get done, uh, well, he read it and then I said, now what did you feel about it? And he said, well, the scripture's about, I said, no, I don't want to know what it's about. I want to know what you feel yep. when you were reading that scripture. And yep. he looked at me like I was from outer space. <laughs> and, and I think there was 10 brethren there. there that's the time we had high priest group. And uh, they all looked at me like, what is he doing? What do you mean, what are we feeling? Well, and then, of course, you have it easier when you teach sisters. <laughs> because, because sisters tend to want to talk and express their feelings when you're yeah. teaching a group of high priests uh, that's not always the case <laughs> yeah I'm glad I'm glad you pointed that out because I, the one thing that I do know is when you follow that pattern you always have to be ready to fill the silence because when you first start to teach that way there there typically is silence and people look at you like what are you doing? Like you have 10 heads and especially in, in younger classes, they typically will sit and wait for the answers. And so when you do use that pattern, always be ready with your own experiences. So when you read that, just like you did, and you said, 
take this scripture and tell me what you think about it, what you feel about it, and your experience with it. You have to be ready to, when you give your thought, to say, well, here's what I think about it. Are there any other thoughts? Here, well, here's how I feel about it. Are there any other feelings? Well, here's my experience with it. Are there any other experiences? And and my ex- my experience is, by the time I've said, well, here's how I feel about it, how does everybody else feel about it? It just takes off. I It, it mm. teaches itself. <laughs> the Holy Ghost teaches it, honestly. Yeah, my wife and I were discussing this uh, this week about silence in the classroom. <laughs> that you have to be willing to be comfortable with silence. And most yeah. people, including the class themselves, are not used to that. And what brought that about is, and I can't remember who told the story. Uh, I, it was one of our children, I think. Anyway, um, that they were in a sacrament meeting, and um, the speaker got up and just stood there for six minutes. <laughs> Didn't say a word and they are, the, the congregation's looking at each other, and they go, well, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And then finally he said, that silence is what the, our relatives on the other side of the veil are feeling from you. <laughs> and then he started talking about family history. And so, yeah, we, silence is a problem. I, I'm never uncomfortable with that. I'm willing to be silent for several minutes or whatever long it takes. But I know a lot of people are, and when I've always taught that concept, that uh, they go, well, but what <laughs> What do you do? And I said, you just wait. <laughs> you I, just stay silent. <laughs> I, I, said, I said, the Spirit will speak. You just got to give, uh, give it time. Yeah. It's true. Well, true. I've appreciated the time with you. It's been very fascinating, and I'm glad we had a chance. This is the first time I've actually, and it's almost been, well, it's almost, I think, a week away from being a year of doing this podcast that we've actually read some scripture. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're always talking about them and how we study them, but we've never right. actually quoted a verse and, and, and did that. So I appreciate the time with you. And um, I always ask my guests if they would please bear their testimony. Yes. Before I do that, I'm yes. going just tell you that ICS stands for Information Communication Systems. Oh, it stands for what? Say it again. Information Communication Systems. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really hate acronyms. I I can rarely remember what they mean. And so I I prefer the long title, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, I would love to bear my testimony. Um, I think I'm going to do it in a couple different... Um, I think I'm going to sum it up this way. Again, I'm going to quote out of this book, and then I'm going to build on that. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the beautiful relationships given to us repeatedly in Scripture between God and man are those of a father to his children and a shepherd to his sheep. These concepts were first conceived in the mind of God our Father, They were made possible and practical through the work of Christ, and they are confirmed and made real in me through my agency and through the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when the simple though sublime statement is made by a man or woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between a human being and his maker. It links a lump of common clay to divine destiny, It means a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. This thought alone should stir your spirit, 
quicken your own sense of awareness and lend enormous dignity to yourself as an individual. To think that Christ is deeply concerned about you as a particular person immediately gives great purpose and enormous meaning to your so short sojourn here upon this planet. And my testimony is that God lives. And Jesus is the Christ. And it doesn't matter if you believe it as an individual, where you are in your own testimony or in your own belief, it's still a truth of eternity. And there is nothing more important to Christ than the salvation of his children. And there is nothing more important to him than having all of his children back with him. And I'll share one other experience that I had that proved that in my testimony. Years ago, when I was about 24, I was really struggling to to learn whether or not Christ was real and what I believed versus what I had been raised to believe in, in the gospel. Um, and so I started praying, 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 Heavenly Father, do you love me? And for two years straight, the answer was I would hear every morning and every night when I would pray and say, Heavenly Father, do you love me? Do you know me? I would hear in my mind, read the scriptures. And I interpreted that to mean I'm not even worthy of an answer. I have to read the dang scriptures. <laughs> and being stubborn like I was, I didn't read the scriptures. And one day, one Saturday in October, I turned on, it was uncharacteristic of me, and I turned on General Conference. And it was the first session where President Benson became our prophet. And I wasn't used to listening to Saturday sessions. Sometimes I would watch Sunday sessions of conference. But this particular morning, I turned it on, and I sat down, and he got up. And the first words out of his mouth were, if you want to know that Christ loves you, read the Book of Mormon. And I sat there and I realized that Christ was very personally my Savior. He knew me personally. He had been giving me the same answer for two years, morning and night, to read the Book of Mormon, the scriptures, very specifically, I received the impression that it was the Book of Mormon I needed to read. He had been doing that for two years, and I just wasn't in a place where I was interpreting it correctly. And I believe that he sent a prophet to give that answer to me so that I would interpret it correctly. And my testimony to everyone, is that Christ knows you personally. There is nothing more important to him than you. He cares about everything you care about. You can't, you cannot separate yourself from his love. 
You can't wander far enough for him to not love you. He paid the price. And a lot of people look at their life and look at their mistakes and believe that they're not successful. And that's simply not true. Because we were sent down here to earth to have experiences. And nobody said they were supposed to be grand and glorious and easy. But in those experiences, we are being tested to see if we will love him and follow him. And if we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we can go to bed every night answering the question, do I love God? Does he matter to me? And the answer is yes. And am I trying to love my fellow man and be kind and help them have a better life? If the answer is yes, we're raging successes. And we will find our path back to him. And he will draw us to him. And I just want to leave that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.